Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Chris and Eric's Longbox Adventure. I'm Chris. And I'm Eric. This week we are doing one of my picks. We are going to be discussing the first Animorphs graphic novel. This is adapting the original Animorphs book, The Invasion, uh, by Catherine Applegate and Michael Grant from back in 1996. This graphic novel version is adapted by artist Chris Grine, uh, who also serves as the letterer, basically all facets of doing it. It is Chris Grine. And this came out in 2020. This is published by Scholastic. And yeah, it's basically just a really faithful adaptation of the original novel. I have a million and one things that I could get to topic-wise, but... You're the Animorphs newbie. I'll let you sort of steer things of what you want to talk about first. So yeah, I suppose, what were your first impressions and where would you like to start? Uh, so what I mostly remember about Animorphs from back in the day is um, the covers of the books. Because every Scholastic book fair that I went to as a small child, you would see these books with these freaky covers. So when you said we were doing the graphic novel version, I was expecting some freaky animal transformations, and luckily I got some. So, <laughs> uh, but there's a lot more alien species I had to remember than I uh, was expecting. Yeah, this is full-on sci-fi horror. I think the graphic novel a little bit less so than the original books, because... These are, like, aimed at middle schoolers, and as long as the cover's not too crazy, you can kind of get away with writing whatever in the book, as long as it's not a picture and the parents can't, like, oversee and see it, so you can write out these horrific descriptions of morphing. Whereas, like, the graphic novel, the morphs are gross, and, like, they don't shy away from death and danger, but it's also very bright poppy colors like i feel like you could easily deliver this in like a horror art style but it's very much doing what it can with its demographic in my opinion animals by liam sharp what's your impression i would like to see it they should do like a a, a jam issue version for one of the books and every couple pages change the artist yeah yeah um yeah, I suppose I'll go ahead and do just like a little brief plot summary for those of you who have not read Animorphs before, who still have not been exposed to it. If you're unaware of what a hawk bajir is, listen to this next part. <laughs> yeah, so the invasion opens up with a little bit of moody dialogue about how we can't tell you our names, it's too dangerous, we can't let them find us. But people need to know there's this danger. It could be any town. It could be your town. And this is all very reminiscent of the way the actual Animorph books open, where there's always some moody dialogue, where it's, Hi, I'm, and then the narrator of the book's character name, and then the whole, You're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. 
but essentially once we get some foreboding narration in we meet five kids jake cassie rachel tobias and marco and they meet up sort of by chance at the shopping mall one night and on their way home decide to cut through an abandoned construction site which everyone knows is a thing that they probably shouldn't do and is probably dangerous but kids just do it all the time anyway and this night when they do it they happen to see a ufo in the sky freaking them the fuck out at which point it lands and out of the ufo comes a blue horse deer scorpion man creature named an andalite this one is specifically named prince alfangor who goes through a real quick five minute lore dump of what this series is going to be to let them know and let the reader know that the andalites are not the only aliens on earth there is also a predatory parasite species called the yurks who are basically shellless snails who crawl inside of other creatures' brains and take over, literally controlling all of their movements in such a way that the people around them have no idea that this person is no longer in control of themselves. So it's a very silent, stealthy sort of alien invasion plot. Body snatches. Yes, exactly. And... They're communists. I would like the Yerks better if they were communists. <laughs> um, that's what the body snatches were, and like that's like the metaphor of the original movie. Sure, yeah. Um, but the Yerks and the Andalites have been warring in outer space for years. Elfengor is the last of his fleet in this conflict in the region of space right by Earth. The rest of his fleet of andalites has already been wiped out because the yurks got them by surprise of veiled ships and all of that sort of shit and elfangor is dying but he thinks that the best hope and best that he can do for these children and for the earth is to give them a piece of andalite developed technology that i'm not going to say its name because they haven't actually established yet so i will just say the glowy blue box he has all of the children touch their hands up against its surfaces and transfers the power to morph to them. Morphing meaning that by touching any animal, they will now be able to extract that animal's DNA and then at any point by choice be able to turn themselves into that animal using the DNA that they now have. Elfengor warns them never stay in morph for more than two hours because otherwise you will never be able to go back to your main form we will get back to the implications and consequences of this later that all happens he tells them they have to fight the yurks they're just like but we're kids this is scary at which point the yurk ships start to descend he tells them to go hide and they watch on as the yurk ship lands outcome hork bajir who are just gigantic reptilian bipedal creatures just covered in spikes as well as taxons which are just disgusting warm things and finally also outcomes viscer free viscer free is the only andalite controller 
controller and Animorphs referring to a creature that has been taken over by a Yurk. So human controllers, uh, Hork-Bajir controllers, a controller just means that the being has a Yurk piloting their brain. And Viscerfree is the only Yurk to have ever taken over an Andalite body, and by consequence that means he is also the only Yurk that has the power to morph. He ends up morphing into this gigantic hideous monster, eats Elfangor, the kids freak the fuck out, they run away, but they are heard as they are fleeing, and so the aliens are running after them. The children manage to escape, but this clues the Yurks into the fact that there were witnesses of what happened on that night. From this point on, a lot of the book consists of the children each trying to come to terms with what they've seen and decide what they should do. Um, some of them immediately want to do what Elfengor said and embrace the morphing power and fight the Yurk invasion, while others are more hesitant for various reasons. But they slowly begin to morph. Tobias is the most infused about it, the first one to do it. He makes Jake accept the reality of it when he morphs into a cat right in front of Jake. After Jake had tried to just do the whole, it was a dream, I don't want to talk about it thing. And so the rest of the kids also begin doing their first morph, starting to come to terms with things. And during this time, they also notice that various adults around town are trying to find out information about what happened at the campsite, or the um construction site, rather. And the story in the news is that people called saying they saw UFOs, but really it was just a bunch of children playing with fireworks. And one of the people who's trying to find out who these children were is Jake's older brother Tom, who is acting very suspicious, which makes Marco think that he is a controller, at which point Jake punches Marco because he doesn't want to think his big best bro is a controller, even though he very obviously is. And... Also related to Tom is a group called The Sharing, which just sounds like a fucking cult. The kids are smart enough to immediately be like, that's probably a Yurk front. So they go to check out a Yurk meeting, or a Sharing meeting, rather, to confirm whether or not it is in fact the Yurks. They use their newly acquired morphing abilities, specifically Jake morphing as a dog, and Tobias as a hawk to sort of infiltrate the meeting and listen in without being caught. At which point they confirm, not only are these Yurks, but they suspect Jake, because Tom knows that he walks that way in that part of town all the time. And so, knowing for sure that Tom is one of them, gives Jake all the more motivation he needs to know that he needs to fight because he wants to save his brother, they all ultimately agree to varying degrees of reluctance. Cassie, conveniently enough, has veterinarian parents who... The father runs a rehab center for wildlife, like taking care of injured wild animals, while the mother works at a theme park slash zoo with all sorts of beasts that they can conveniently go and get morphs from, which is the explanation for how these children get the morphs for gorillas, tigers, and elephants, which they use when they go to attack the Yurk Pool, which is basically a Yurk base, 
which is the site where humans get infested. Long story short, lots of action, lots of trying to save people. It does not go well because the kids do manage to make it out and survive, but they don't save Tom. He is still a controller. Only one innocent human actually gets it out of the yerk pool with them, and not even all of the team makes it out fully intact, because Tobias, after the fact, when he sees one of the other teammates for the first time, says that in order to stay hidden, he had to stay within his hawk morph for more than two hours, and therefore he is stuck as a hawk, unable to return to his human body, and at this point the kids have no choice but to continue to fight and hope that at some point the Andalites will send more help to the planet and that by the time they do so it won't it won't be too late. That was an extremely long plot summary. <laughs> so sorry, but I feel like none of that really could have been cut to know what's going on. Yeah, no that was all necessary. Um so up front I do have a couple of morphing questions. This is this is me having sat with the concept. I am these kids. This is DNA based. Can you grab someone of the same species and morph into them? Like I, a human, am like, hey, human, morph into you. Because when he turns into the dog, it is the exact same dog to the point where his brother thinks he's that dog. Depending on the question, I'm going to be more specific or vague just to leave more room for fun when we get to future books but that one i will simply say yes they can morph other humans that makes sense second why just animals because like i don't think it's any any more to expect someone to turn into a gecko lizard as it is to a tree especially since you can also turn into alien life forms but are presumably not based around um, the same kind of DNA structure as us to begin with. So I feel like it'd be very easy to do like a plant. So theoretically, you are right, but part of the behind the making of the books was that Applegate and Grant specifically wanted to write a book series that would deliver fun animal facts to children. So they were specifically personally interested in animals. And so in order to teach kids fun animal facts, they whipped up this weird sci-fi horror story. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, like, the, the plants would be terrible for, like, an offensive thing. But if you're trying to hide, turning into a tree for an hour is pretty fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just grab, like, a blade of grass and hold that for a few minutes and then and then see what happens next time i'm on the run <laughs> okay that's that's about all the 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 um how to exploit the morphing ability that they don't do in the books that i can think of the top of my head i'm just like that's that's the first place i would have gone if i was one of these kids i would have been like hmm well if that guy can turn into that alien and he's a different kind of alien and they are presumably from different planets it's a huge coincidence if all of these are like even vaguely similar on a cellular level to humans so yeah yeah i will say they never really from what i can remember address this question in the books 
So for all we know, it could be possible for them to do plans and they just never do it. You know, it could also be a matter of Elfangor using whatever universal translator sort of stuff that he's doing where animal is the term he uses, but he doesn't necessarily mean it in the strict Scientific limited sense. Yeah. 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 So like maybe it's possible, but I will go ahead and spoil and tell you that they never do it. <sighs> okay. Okay. I just, I want that cover of like a kid just like over the course of just this one image turning into a blade of grass. A fucking blade of grass. Like, like just, like, multiple legs start sprouting out while sim- simultaneously turning into roots? I'm just imagining how horrifying, like, a person morph into a tree would be, then. Um, that happened to Merlin. And I don't know why I'm bringing up King Arthur. <laughs> I'm like, what, what fiction have I read where someone turns into a tree? Well, Merlin does it once. While we're on the topic of morphing, though... What did you think of the visual representations of it here? I really liked a lot of them. Um, you could push it further, in my opinion, but I think a lot of them were really good. There's um, My favorite is one of the ones where Tobias is turning into a hawk, and you've got like he's got like most of the beak, but his nose still looks like a human nose on the end of like a little beak. And he's looking up, and... Um, for some reason, all of the animals' eyes, the way the artist draws them, they all look a little bit sad. I think it's just because they have much bigger blacks, which is accurate. Like, I most animal eyes have much bigger pupils than human eyes. So everyone always looks like they're about to cry when they're transforming. Yes, yes, yeah, it's the beak coloration and, like, shape, but it still has, like, very human nostrils. I always appreciate when... It shows vague semblances of human hands starting to sprout where they look really tiny and decrepit and they're not bending the right way. So this is this is probably an incredibly technical question. It's not really a good answer to. Um, bird wings are made out of mostly the same digits as human hands. It's just a different structure. So like birds have, it's normally like three little fingers and then at one super long finger, which is where most of the wing is actually coming out of. So in that one image where it looks like he's just sort of got a feathery sleeve, I am weirdly bothered by the fact that it isn't one extremely long finger <laughs> covered in feathers and the others are still, like, humanoid. Because wouldn't, wouldn't, logically, the bones would, well, this power is absolutely insane because you can turn into aliens, which makes it just, like, an incredibly versatile kind of technology um shockingly so this is the um this is this is this is pc not mac you can plug anything into it yeah like the way that the kids morph isn't always necessarily like digit to digit i suppose like straightforward skeletally or anything and I'll go ahead and say this. I don't feel like it's that big of a deal. Spoiler. The way that they morph to and from isn't always necessarily the same either. So, like, it'll cover it more in future books, but... Say the order in which their body parts change to, like, turn into a bird. One time they do it won't necessarily be the exact same the second time. It's very weird... (laughs) 
imprecise, unpredictable technology. That makes sense. There should be, like, one where it's completely disconnected. So, like, instead of, like, the bird head turning into a human head, like, the bird's stomach turns into a human head, and the, the bird head turns into, like, an arm. In later installments of the books, there are some absolutely horrifying descriptions where it will be like the entire part or the entire body except for the head changes first. And so you just have like this fucking like insectoid sort of structure exoskeleton but a human face before it starts melting and shit like that. Like I also really like the way that the morphing is depicted in these books. But like I said earlier, I think they are sort of limited by they can't go too ham on the horrific aspects. So the visuals in this book, I think, are a little less unsettling than reading on just the novel page. Although I think beyond just the whole what can you draw out, There's also the matter of, if it's just text, your brain can interpret that and take it as far as you choose to, and you have a little more free reign to fully envision the horror. Um, So I don't mean anything bad against the artist's work here at all, because I do think it does a good job. And there are some funny, like there's a lot of in-between stage gags of just like, say if you have free panels... And one is mostly cats. The last is mostly human. That in-between cat-human is very gross in a fun way. I actually really love There's a three-panel transition of cat to human. And in the end, Tobias is, like, completely normal human-looking. Except for he still has cat eyes. So I guess that was the last thing to change. Was the, uh, the slit pupils. Which, that's great. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Related to morphing question, or morphing topic, what did you think of the specific creatures they morphed in this book, and, like, what they did with them? And just, I guess, like, did you think it was fun what the book did with, here's what it's like when they turn into a cat, or a lizard? Yes. Um, I really love the idea that you get, like, the instincts of the body that you're in. Like, when Tobias turns into a cat, he, uh, starts talking about how much he wants to try and, like, chase down a mice and kill it. And then later on, there's a scene... Who is it that turns into the lizard again? Oh, uh, that's Jake. Jake. Yeah, when Jake turns into a lizard, he actually just eats a spider whole. And, uh, it's real fucking gross. Uh, the spider's exploded in his mouth, so he's covered with, like, little, um bug guts i don't know what the term is for the inside of an arthropod but it's great yeah like arachnid entrails and like the broken legs and his mouth i think that's one of the grossest panels in the book is just the spider in his mouth although if you can believe right now chris is pointing at half human half horse cassie which is another oh god panel um (laughs) That one's a lot, too. Uh, in terms of the lizard and the spider, the original novel version is gross in a slightly different way. I reread it last night, 
before recording just to like be thinking about sort of how it's adapted and to be able to discuss those aspects of it but in the original book jake talks specifically about how the lizards uh swallows the spider whole and how he can feel it thrashing in him until it dies so it's a whole other brand of oh god yeah these books are very gross and i love them um this is the kind of children's literature i can get behind yeah yeah i think there's a tendency in some children's lit to like underestimate kids intelligence or be too concerned with sanitizing everything and i just really appreciate weird gross freak shit like this i thought it was fun then i think it's fun now another favorite like like morphing moment for me is uh, my favorite panel in this whole book is um so jake's just turned uh, more for the first time and he's turned into his dog who he had like just sent outside before he turned into him and he jumps up at the window as a dog having seen his dog outside and starts barking and yapping at him and tobias has to shoot him and then there's just this close-up of sad dog jake going but there's a dog in my yard (laughs) best panel in the whole thing i love it yeah And then the obviously a controller brother comes in at one point and it's just like, make that dog be quiet. Bad dog, bad dog. At which point Jake is again very sad because animal instincts and there's nothing worse for a dog than being told bad dog. That and then and then Tom is like, why on earth are you putting clothes on the dog? (laughs) Yeah, that's part of the morphing too is that until they've practiced enough to be able to do it when they're first morphing they can't morph clothes and so when they're turning into animals they're like falling out of their clothes and we get shots of like dog jake with just his shirt on see that that implies this technology is not entirely biologically based it's actually like if if you can concentrate and take your clothes with you when you morph then your clothes are becoming a physical part of your body as like the animal whatever transition so it's clearly working on a molecular level not a cellular level but then also taking inorganic compounds and making them organic compounds because most clothes that people wear is a lot of synthetic fabrics like one of these kids is wearing a nylon shirt it can't all be cotton sorry i'm thinking way too much about how the technology works but this is just some astounding tech but these kids are, and they don't even have like a physical thing with them it's just running off of like is it like a thing in the books like especially hungry after morphing or anything like that i feel like you should be i'm gonna say no they're often gonna feel like beat the fuck up but it's also largely because they're morphing for dangerous battle missions so they it's just more got beat the fuck up yeah yeah so it's more <laughs> that sort of thing than They don't do a sort of Digimon thing where after everything, they're super hungry because they need their energy back up. In terms of the clothes thing, it's one of those things where it doesn't make sense, but the fandom as a whole has always just seemed to be fine going along with it because it gives an excuse for 
the writers not to have to deal with naked children every time they morph, and that's just something they don't want to deal with, which is perfectly fine to not have to deal with that after they learn how to morph clothes. Uh, I mean, honestly, with the additional information that we know they can turn into um, alien species, um, the inclusion of clothes... Like, 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 there's no way this works in, like, a way that makes biological sense anyway. Like, this technology is not actually morphing their physical bodies. It is altering a certain area of, like, molecules to an entirely different form. So, like, yeah. I will say later books get into questions of, like, what's happening to your mass and... Are things shifting into other dimensions, and what does this mean when you're morphing? It doesn't get there anytime soon, and I don't know how soon we'll get there on the podcast, because that is many books from now, and the graphic novels only come out once a year, so that's many moons away. While they obviously don't try to make it, like, make real Earth sense, they will go on to sort of play with in-universe sort of, this shit's weird, what's going on? Oh yeah, I was hardcore annoy- uh, ignoring how, like, they turn into either much smaller or much larger animals than humans. <laughs> that was when I was just like, nope, can't even get into how insane that is. Yeah, which I think the size stuff is some of the really fun ones too, because just like, a human head on a tiny bird body is very gross. Um, there's a great, um, props by the way, Chris Grine absolutely kills it with this. The first, like, human morph that we see uh, is Tobias turning into his cat. And it's really good, like, panel progression. It's a five-panel page, and the bottom four panels are, um, diff- like, you have Tobias's head sort of in the center of the panel, progressively becoming more cat-like. So it's it's three drawings of Tobias one is full cat one is like 75% human and then one is like 50% human um, layered for like really good clean project uh, really good clean progression the art's fabulous all the way through very expressive I would say especially all the humans and then the um, drawing animals is a pain in the ass and they're all good there's like a well drawn horse in this no one can draw a horse. No one can draw horses. This horse is well drawn. Yeah, I don't know what it was. Oh, it was it was the Doctor Strange episode, wasn't it? Because of Nightmare's horse. I was going to say, we yes. talked about <laughs> how difficult horses are to draw in the last episode. And here's a nice horse. One panel before it becomes a hideous half-human, half-horse monster. But it is one really good horse panel. Yeah, I agree about the strength of the art. I think my favorite aspect is the human characterization and expression, primarily through facial expression. There's just a really good mixture or a variety of emotions being really well displayed here uh, to help give the characters nuance and sort of differentiate themselves from each other. The animals are well drawn, like you said. Um... There's just so much going on on a fundamental level to have to draw 
any of these animals, much less all of them, and all the humans, and all the aliens, and then just all the art fundamentals of story progression and leading the eye along and all of that. And I mentioned earlier, like, how the colors are bright and poppy, so it, like, sort of holds things off from, like, feeling full horror. But it's bright and pop poppy in a really fun way that's pleasing to look at. And right now, you're pointing at half-elephant face Rachel, which is horrifying, even if it is a bright color palette. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm, I, every time I flip through this, it's just more insane, cool art stuff. I would rather be reading, I think, the graphic novels than the novels themselves, just because the art is so good. They better keep Chris Grine on board for all of these, because killing it, frankly. He is contracted up through book number six so far, I will say, and everyone should buy these so he can keep on making them. There are 60-some original books, and I don't know how they're going to work that out in terms of if they actually try to finish it. I'm assuming they would try and skip some of the non-essential books here and there, because these only come out once a year, and doing them all would be a 60-year project at this rate. But everyone should buy these so Chris Grind can keep making them, because they're very fun. Scholastic needs to load a dump truck full of money and drive it in front of his house and just dump it on his front lawn. Yeah. That's that's my take. We need... we need. I, I would love to see all of them. Yeah. Which, while we're sort of on the topic of adapting, I guess I'll go ahead and get my thoughts out about the hows and the accuracies of how it's been, like, shifted from novel to graphic novel form. This is a very faithful adaptation to the point where... If I hadn't literally just read the original book last night, I would have forgotten about most of the changes and not realized that they even were changes, because all of the slight edits are basically just in the interest of making it work in the different formats. Like, certain conversations will sort of be sewn together to better flow within this page count sort of thing. There's never cutting anything that's act actively essential. They actually fix a small plot hole or two that were in the original novel from before they had fully figured out all the rules of the universe. So they fixed those things to be in keeping with how the lore goes. I think the main difference in terms of what the experience is like is that the original novels all have a narrator they take turns being which specific main character it is. The invasion, it's Jake. And so reading the novel, there's just an added sense of the interiority of Jake actively telling the reader how he's feeling about everything and he's describing it. Whereas the comic format necessitates putting all of that more down visually. And there's not a lot of captions or narration like the opening narration with the foreboding, we can't tell you who we are, is really the majority of it. And so it feels much less like we're being dictated what's happening versus getting to watch what's happening. And I really like both versions. I think that they both 
do a good job delivering the information within the context of like what medium they're working from. I don't think that you could have done a better job adapting the book than Chris Grind does here. Like I literally don't think there's anything that's done wrong. Yeah, I've never read the original books. I owned one of them and the cover was a kid turning into an Andalite, but I genuinely do not remember if I even read that. I just know that at some point it was on one of my bookshelves as a kid. This is good. I want more. Yeah. On the topic of Andalites, what do you think of all these alien species that we get? Um, I think the designs in this are really creative. Um, I assume... Well, the, the, the Andalites I know were like a very firm design. Did the other ones make it onto book covers or into images before this? And this is just be using those designs or would some of them have been like visualized by grind uh so all of the alien species that appear in this book did at various points get to appear on the covers of the original books so there were definitely like previous versions of them i think grind does a good job of like they're not carbon copies by any means like if you look side by side, you can see, like, the differences, but there's enough commonality that it feels like an Andalite or, like, a hork even if you're used to the old designs. I think the taxons are the main difference, and that they're a lot brighter and, frankly, less disgusting somehow. Let me pull up a picture of the taxon for you from the old designs. Listeners, you can't see this, but as you're listening, Google Animorph Taxon, and you'll get to see what Chris is about to react to. Unless you're driving. Ugh. Okay, um, so the one in the book does not have the distinctive lobster claws, and the head is fatter and the eyes aren't on stock in the, in the, um, in the comic, um. I think they're both good designs. I think that the one, the original one's more alien looking to me, which I really like. This one looks much more like just a maggot, but this one's probably a lot easier to draw on the regular. Yeah, like, the OG design is so disgusting, and I prefer the graphic novel version for the taxons. I think they're a little less gross, and I think that's part of it, because as much as I'm talking about how gross fun these books are, if you've Google searched Animorph Taxon, you know just how gross those original bitches are. And also, I just think these little yellow worms are fun. When they step on them in Elephant Morph, they, like, spoo blue blood. They're just gigantic punching bags, like fucking water bags that just pop as soon as they get punched. The hawk bajir are also great. Um, I like how that I'm trying to figure out. If you can't tell, um, I I'm occasionally weirdly a biology nerd. I'm trying to figure out their mouths because their teeth are built into their like. They, they, they don't have lips. Their teeth are a part of their jaw that we can see. Um, so it makes you wonder if this is a beak that is shaped like teeth, which is an interesting concept. 
again, these probably don't have the same DNA structure as humans anyway, but, like, they're cool. They look, um, sort of like a slightly more human-shaped dinosaur. Yeah. I think one of the main differences between the hork Bajir designs is that while they're bipedal in both versions, I think the proportions in the graphic novel are a bit more human. The original book cover versions have very, like, long, curving necks, and they're, like, I guess, like, proportions of anatomy are a bit more extreme, whereas I think they're a bit more equivalent to humans in terms of, like, body part ratio size in the comic. Yeah, again, I think it's probably a, I have to draw these a million times in, like, a a gazillion panels and make them expressive and make them fit this art style. Um, They look great in in both. I actually think I prefer the the comic design uh, because it's a little less graphically disturbing to look upon as the one from the books. I like that the comic ones have like a single piece of armor and that they all have these spiky shoulder pads as if these giant spiked creatures don't have enough natural defense but each of them has one shoulder that really needs extra protection and i'm being serious i actually like it you know it's like design that's just like fun and aesthetically pleasing to look at you know like i'm poking fun because logically, these don't really need armor, but it's just really cute. So, while we're looking at like this early scene where we sort of get the parade of aliens, um, there are the two spaceships that show up. I assume we're going to see more spaceships in further books. Yeah, yeah, that that is a safe assumption. So, based on these ships, um, obviously uh, the Andalite ship that um, Prince, whatever his name is, shows up in, it's it's got an actual scorpion tail like andalites like it's physically inspired by um i would say the andalite body structure and also a star trek ship it's got nacelles like a star trek ship the long tubey things if you don't speak nerd they say it's a yerk ship but this ship here based on the way it's drawn i would say is clearly a hawk bajir ship that the yerk has stolen because it's got the same spikes on it as the Yurks do. Uh, sorry, as the, the Hawk Vigier do. Do 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 the Yurks steal the technology of races that they like take over rather than like have their own tech? Because they're just like tiny little grubs that live in people's brains? From what I remember, I think a little bit of both. Even though I've read all these books, I never have been good at visualizing and making sense of like technology descriptions of like vehicles or spaceships like descriptions like that i've always been much worse at like visually keeping a grasp on than say just like the aliens themselves um so i don't really remember a whole lot of the actual spaceship uh descriptions in the original books i love the ship designs the um the Andalite ship manages to look like a good guy ship while still looking like a warship and being threatening. Um, and then the the Yurk ship or Hawk ship, whatever, it looks like an axe. It's got like axe blades on it. It's very threatening. Very good design work. There is 
I think they used the term in the graphic novel. I don't think I'm adding something you haven't seen yet. But there is definitely a specific type of York ship called a blade ship. So at least some of them, the blade thing is very intentional. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. We've talked a lot about morphing and aliens. This first book has to deliver a shitload of exposition and lore dumping. As someone who this was more or less your first time coming into the franchise, I guess I'm just curious how successful you thought, like, the pacing and everything was of just delivering all of this new information to you for the first time. I think it works. I mean, it's a very, like, classic trope. I mean, the the same thing happens to Green Lantern. The alien shows up and is like, here, let me explain everything. Now have a superpower. So yeah, no, it works for me. I think that this was probably the best way of doing it. Sort of throwing the kids into the deep end does create, like, the main conflict of this initial book, where they're having to adjust to just, like, this entirely, like, new way of realizing and seeing the world. Because it's not just that, like, aliens are real and you can turn into an animal now, it's that, like, your world is now essentially being secretly run by little evil slugs. And I'm not saying that it's this kid's political awakening and they just discovered the Republican Party, but um, I'm not not saying that. <laughs> yeah, and like, Elfingor shows up and is alive just long enough to give the power and deliver enough exposition for the plot to be functional, but he then dies and leaves it so that these children are entirely in over their heads with no one they can talk to no one they can trust because anyone could be a controller and at this point they have no other alien contacts nor any way of knowing how they would ever get them so it's very literally aliens are going to invade your planets and there's nothing anyone but you can do about it like I get why he does it but it's also such a jackass move to do this to a group of five children (laughs) Like it is, but also he's like... What else is he gonna do? It's just like, also, wow. Yeah, um, I will say that certain aspects of the ethics of this decision are explicitly talked about later on, but again, in books much later than the graphic novels have gotten. Here, child, fight in my war. Please, be brave. I'm about to be swallowed by this gigantic beast. (laughs) the finale as well so basically um after they go to the sharing meet they find out that they're all they know that the yurks have to like crawl out of people's heads and like have a little bath in a special alien pool thing honestly it's very did you watch peacemaker no peacemaker is also invasion of the body snatchers and and the aliens in that all have to like drink a specific like liquid to survive when they're like infesting human hosts so you can find out who is like an alien by like do they have this in their fridge so in this case it's they have to like crawl out of the the brains and go to this pool thing and they do it sort of on like a regular basis i guess when they can sort of hen all the humans in at the same time and keep an eye on all of them it's uh They don't have to have, like, all the controllers at once. 
it's it's not that there's so many people all at once because they're all there at once like they can go at different times depending on when they need it but it's just that they have infested so many people already that it's virtually always this crowded is sort of what it is that is more horrifying than i thought it was yeah yeah the earth is fucked and not because of us this time yeah yeah for once damn okay (laughs) yeah which like i can sort of like i can understand like why you're why you sort of fought that um interpretation of it but yeah i will just go ahead and confirm it's not that they all try and get it at the same time it's just that there's a fuckload of controllers oh god yeah controllers who very conveniently for the kids reading this seem to mostly possess adults including the principals don't you think your vice principal looks like an alien bastard and how you just can't trust the adults in your life i mean that's fair my principal was weird my mine were also horrible like I'm saying, like, that just like, oh, it's easy to see how this is appealing to kids, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, this is, this is, this is great. It's, um, sorry. You're looking, looking for... at Elephant Rachel again. <laughs> it, it keeps haunting me. Um, the whole finale where they invade, and it's amazing how easily they wipe the floor of all these aliens. I mean, I guess they need to have something approaching a victory. Do they actually free anyone by the end? So my one issue is it's unclear how many people actually make it out without getting reinfested. There is one woman who makes it to the top of the stairs with them. Just the one. Wow, that's depressing. Yeah. I would assume that woman becomes an ally and or confidant after this, since she already knows about the aliens and understands the level of the threat. Do you want me to address the question or leave it for when you get to the books personally? Um, I can hold off. Okay. There's a whole two pages of everyone sort of having barely gotten out, and they're all just in, like, almost human form for four panels, and it's magnificent. Tiger Stripe Jake, Tiny Tusks Rachel everyone's just kind of furry or i guess like gray heidi for the elephant however you would describe that texture she looks like an orc yeah yeah what did you think of the human characters of like the protagonists i think tobias is already the most interesting one probably but what did you think of these kids uh, Tobias is definitely my favorite. Um, he's consistently the most on point, with um, one major exception. Um, he's the one who spots that the alien spacecraft is coming in. He's the one who immediately like just adjusts and decides, well, better fight this shit then. He's the one who is most okay with uh, Morphing. But he also loses himself in Morphing and is the one who winds up, uh, spoiler alert, at the end, stuck as a hawk. You already said that bit. You spoiled that earlier. I don't need to do spoiler alert. We're a spoilers podcast. We, we spoil everything. Yeah. 
it's it's in all the episode descriptions before you start listening. It's y'all know what you're getting into. Rosebud was his sled. Huh? Citizen Kane. <laughs> oh. Uh, uh Bruce Willis is a ghost. Was it Bruce Willis? I can't remember. I don't even know what movie that one is referencing. <laughs> Six cents. Okay. Um but yeah, at the very end we get Jake is wakes up. Jake's an idiot. Yes, Jake multiple times. He seems to be set up as the leader guy, but he's an idiot, which I guess does line up with most leader guys in books like these. There is an excellent Animorphs podcast that I highly recommend called Animorphology that does a full episode discussion of every single book. And one of their things that they talk about is the degree to which Jake being the leader just feels like default, okay, we're making the white boy the leader, and there's two white boys, and there's Jake, and there's, like, sad, stuck as a hawk Tobias, so between the two of them it's gonna be Jake, but to what degree does it make sense or not? Um, the girls and Marco don't feel distinct enough to me yet to have a full opinion. I, they all have moments that I like. Like, uh, Cassie, um, there's a funny bit where Cassie's just, like, transformed back from being a horse, and they're all trying to cover up her transforming because a cop's just shown up, and, um, they joke about her being, like, incredibly shy as to why she was hiding behind them. Um, and she's also, it, this happens off-panel, but she's the first to figure out, like, the clothes, if I remember correctly. So, Cassie seems like she's really cool, but there's just, like, not enough. Like, this this is definitely... Jake and Tobias get the most to do in this, at least. I'm sure later graphic novels will focus more on those other characters. I don't dislike any of them, except maybe Jake. Yeah, it's like... I think Jake will get more interesting than he is here. Yeah, I agree that Jake and Tobias get the most here. I think from this being Jake's narration book and the focus in the original and then they just have to do a whole lot of setup with Tobias in order to pull off the stuck and hawk morph at the end of all the characters I think overall I would say that Cassie is my favorite Animorph although Tobias is also very high up there I will be excited to read future books and have you read future books and see what you think of the developments even though again the graphic novels aren't very far in so you're not actually going to be able to see all that far but the idea is still exciting um and yeah Cassie is like the most competent morpher between just like it starts here with she figures out morphing clothes first and there will be like a running theme going forward about how like though they all have the morphing power it is something that skill can be applied to and that she actively becomes better than the rest at which i think is interesting but that's getting ahead of ourselves that makes sense that's definitely started here where she's just like but she does have two parents who are interested in animals so it's like a biology interest that she presumably already has um, and I think if we saw, yeah, I mostly, I just want to see more of the home life of the other kids because Tobias, you at least get a sense of it. And then Jake's, you actually get to see, 
And then the other kids you only see when they're interacting with Tobias and Jake, and you don't see their homes, and I think that's what they both, all three of them need. Marco included, um, in order to be, like, more developed. Yeah. Marco, they, like, lay the groundwork of, they establish here that his mom is dead, and so he has, like, a really depressed father, and part of why he doesn't want to get in the war is that he doesn't want to die and leave his dad alone. But then, like, Rachel, we know literally nothing about her family life, except for that she's related to Jake, except they're cousins, so we don't actually see anything. They don't live in the same house. And then Cassie, we know, like, her parents' occupations, but they haven't appeared on panel yet. Yeah, I, I like all the kids. Um, Tobias is currently my favorite, um, based solely on the fact that the two that have had enough development for me to have an opinion. Um, Jake is the one who's like, no way is my brother a controller. When, like, even if he isn't a controller, he's clearly in a fucking cult kid. Like, either way, this sharing thing sounds weird as shit. You should come with us to the sharing. It's really fun. We have lots of food. There will be volleyball. And, like, what if you get invited, you can be a provisional member and then even a full member. And once you become a full member, everything changes. We have cookies. We have cookies, Jake. Come, we, come to the sharing, Jake. We have literal cookies, literal barbecue, and literal secret upper member meeting on the other side of the beach, which we're very adamant that you don't overhear, but don't worry about it. This is all normal. So normal. Yeah, um... <laughs> Yurks with this little secret handshake. Little slug tendril shake. Um, what do you think of Visser Free? I feel like we don't really get a lot of him so far, but what do you think of our primary antagonist and his first impression? I think it's really great how Grind manages to make the Andalite design seem benign and benevolent with Prince What's-His-Face, and immediately Visser Free comes out, and physically he looks almost identical in in all of the alien species basically they look like they're races of clones um but the a lot of some of it's the coloration because there's a lot of like red light in that scene that of course is always shining on Visser free and is never managing to hit prince what's his face i'm never gonna remember it i'm sorry <laughs> you will learn elfin gore over time don't worry you will hear that name again um, Elfin Gore is dead, so, okay. Um. But not dead in our hearts, or theirs. And he turns into terrifying monsters, he's got, like, a good, evil commanding presence. I said to you earlier that I hear his voice as being, um, voiced by Christopher Lee, a man you apparently have never heard of. Hang on, hang on, I'm gonna show you a picture of Christopher Lee, you will... You will recognize this face. He's a very famous, famous person. Yeah, like, I know I'll recognize him. I just don't know actor names at all. You have seen him in many things. Yeah. Yeah, that man. That old man. I recognize him as old man. Great, terrifying, commanding voice. Would have made a great Visser 3 in the um, early 2000s big uh, Animorphs movie that they should have made. Who knows if it'll ever actually get made with just how, you know, movies get optioned and then fall through. 
but they have been talking about doing an Animorphs movie, which Applegate and Grant specifically said that they withdrew from taking part because of creative differences. So if there's anything to give you (laughs) negative confidence in how that movie will be if it ever actually gets made, it's that. That already sounds like total dog shit. Yeah. The original author is so pissed about what we're doing that they have decided... Like, like, here's the thing. I don't mind if you make changes in your adaptation, but if you aren't capable of making those good, engaging changes, but you convince the author or a thing that you need to do in the, with the medium change, then it's probably not a change worth making. Yeah. Yeah. There's been very little adaptation of this into other media before the graphic novels. There was a very short-lived live-action kids show in the early 2000s, which I still have not watched. I'm going to. It is universally hated. And (laughs) it's only available to buy on Amazon, which I hate. A, giving Amazon money. And B, I prefer to buy physical media. So I have not gotten to it. One day I will watch it, and I'm sure I will regret doing so. And beyond that, really the only things are that there are actually a few Animorphs video games. And I own one of them. And at some point, I guess, next time we do Animorphs, I'll have you fucking play it or something. But I can tell you it is bad, and I assume the other two are also bad. The concept is so good, but the execution is probably so shit. The one I have is literal PlayStation 1, and the others are, like, oh. like Game Boy Advance and, like, PC, like, a very early 2000s. The problem is every animal, you'd wind up with, like, the problem that the Avengers game did, because, like, logically every animal really needs its own moveset in the same way that, like, a different set of superheroes would need their own movesets because they're doing different things and have different physical abilities. But unfortunately, you can't make a game with any kind of sense where you can actively swap between, like, six different entirely, like, different game set movesets. There's not a good way of doing... Has there ever been a good game where you shapeshift beyond, like, now I can shoot because my arm shapeshifted into a gun? Not that I can remember offhand. Yeah, I can't either. That's that's That must be a real pain in the ass. I think the PlayStation 1 is called Animorph Shattered Reality or something like that. <laughs> and I will say, yes, it is bad. I had a lot of fun. Probably mostly just because I love these books. It's very bad. It's very clunky. All of the animals play exactly the same. But there is one level where you play as a dragonfly and you're just like dodging shit as you're like flying through a swamp and you have to like avoid frogs trying to get you with their long tongues and you have to avoid falling in spider webs. And that level is actually very fun and very nice. And also just PS1 graphics. I'm not saying it's a buried treasure or anything. But it just has this weird, like, most of the music is just instrumental until at that point it's just, like, a random early 2000s pop song, presumably made for the game, but just, like, with actual lyrics. 
and you are just vibing to this man singing as you are just going through a swamp as a dragonfly, and that part is great. Yeah, it would be really tricky to do these as a game. Uh, and, and I can see why the TV show would be bad, because I look at this and I'm just like, the budget you would need for the animals is so insane that your only options are it looks like total shit, or it costs a million like hundreds of millions of dollars i feel like animation really is the ideal medium for this but yeah they just keep going to live action and dooming themselves from the start this would be a great animated show yeah this would kill yeah that title sequence would be epic Mm-hmm. i'll have to pull up the fucking video game opening movie for you real quick before we wrap up and everything I did want to know one other, at least, specific thing from the graphic novel. And I just want to mention how good the lettering is. Um, we didn't really specifically talk about it, but another power thing in Animorphs is thought speak, where they can telepathically communicate with each other when they're in Morph. I think Grind does a good job of differentiating the thought speak bubbles from the standard speech and also gives everyone's thought speech like distinctly consistent colors so you always know that the orange balloons are jake and so on and i just thought it was nicely done of just being really simple and easy to follow for something that could have been confusing yeah it's really effective and um very clean as well very very simply designed but very effectively designed i really like it um okay so i have two questions uh, three questions um one is i've had another question about animal thing all right so let's say i go to a museum and i get my hands on a fossil of a dinosaur can i grab the dna from that and morph into a t-rex Unless I am tremendously misremembering, which I don't think I am, I believe in universe they're only able to morph creatures that they, like, absorb DNA from that are alive. Damn it. As opposed to anything dead or fossilized. But Dinomorphs! You, you will get dinosaurs. We're just gonna time- yes! We're gonna time travel to get them, but you'll get them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, time travel would show up at some point. <laughs> we will get the dinosaurs. We just have to add even more alien tech first. Okay, okay. That's fair. That's fair. It's a sensible limitation to keep things sane for now because if you could do dead animals, I would I would be breaking into the museum at night and going to the fossil lab where the actual fossils are because those are casts that you're seeing on display, not the actual fossils. And I would be all over them like a rash. All right. Um, so if you had to pick an animal that you could morph into casually, what would you go for? I've thought about this multiple times. I, my main thoughts that I go to are a cat, just to be nice and arrogant and have no worries and just demand attention and sleep. <laughs> and also weird gymnastic ability given my body size and I also think about 
what would be good utility wise in terms of like would some sort of insect or bird be good in terms of just being able to travel a lot and or just sort of like make my way past people just sort of be doing my own thing unbothered by humans um what would your choices be um so if i was casually turning into an animal like the way that most of them do um i would definitely pick like a golden eagle or something because flying sounds neat and yeah and then and then if i was stuck as an animal i would want it to be specifically one of my cats i want to be a spoiled little shit so that they could then freak out when they see their clones. <laughs> yeah. I hope you look forward to living your life the way that I live my life, where every time you see a red-tailed hawk, you just think, what an Animorphs reference. <laughs> yeah, they really need to do an animated show. That would be so good, now that I think about it. I'm stuck on that still, but that would be, that would be really fucking good. Yeah. The second of these graphic novels is already out. The third is going to be coming out in October. I think the tone of our conversation spoiled this already, but I take it that you are interested in seeing more. Yes. Yes. That's good, because I will, in fact, be making you read more. Okay. So I'm good. glad that good. you're going to enjoy it, presumably. Um, do you have any final notes before we move on to next pick? Nope, aside from just throwing more credit over to Chris Grind for absolutely killing it on this, this is really well done, and it's, I think it's difficult material to work with. I mean, the animals, children, a lot of artists can't draw kids, which hasn't come up because we haven't done, like, a New Mutants or a Teen Titans thing yet, but the number of times they just look like adults, it's freaky. Yeah, this is, like, our first time covering... A like modern YA title because like we've covered some like older comics where like comics were more aimed at kids except Doctor Strange was still an adult you know like these are the first like children main characters we've read about and they look like kids it's like it's stylized it's not like horrifying hyper realistic which I don't think is ever a style you want to do of kids you know like I think the way Grind does it is the way you want to go yeah but he manages to make it, like, expressive and cartoony and, like, an actual range of ages in the characters, which is impressive. Yeah, it's just really well executed. And um, doing everything, doing the, the... We've talked about a little bit about the colors, but the colors are great um, and vibrant and help make the tone not too dark and depressing considering the material the stylized animated faces the different alien designs all of the really good just consistent drawings of the animals i imagine that was incredibly difficult to pull off and it was pulled off so yeah just props there um other than that ready to talk about the next pick uh we'll be reading some of the early issues of george perez wonder woman um a bit of uh how we make the sausage here i uh have not decided how many issues. So if you want to read along with the podcast, uh, well, just start with the 80s uh, Wonder Woman number one and um, read forward until you feel like we've got enough material for an hour-long episode of a podcast. Uh, yeah, we, um, 
comics lost both George Perez and Neil Adams recently, I think in both cases since we last recorded. Um, both magnificent artists who are both getting tribute episodes of this podcast. Um, one of which was already scheduled, and now George Perez has been slid in at the last minute. Uh, the Wonder Woman's really great. Completely reinvents the character, and it's the mythology I think they should have stuck with, and it's the stuff that they're coming back to now. A lot of the mythology in the current Wonder Woman stuff is clearly pulling from the Perez run. Um, it's great. And they, they need to keep doing it, they need to keep pushing the character. Because it's weird that she's big three for DC, and then there's just, like, she usually has a book. Yeah. Yeah, she doesn't, like, usually get a lot of push. Like, I feel like that corner is getting more push and just, like, advertisements and focus than it has in years right now. I've never read these Perez issues. I'm looking forward to it. I know they have a good reputation, and I've read very little Wonder Woman, so I'm looking forward to trying it out. Uh, with that said, yeah, next week we'll be talking Perez Wonder Woman. We'll decide how much we're reading. The uh, <laughs> The episode description will have which specific issues when it's up to let you know. Like, if you do want to follow along, you'll have the specific ones there. We're starting at the beginning. Yeah, we're starting at the beginning and then going to some undecided points. But that's it for this week. You can find us at at Longbox Advent on both Twitter and Instagram. Email Chris and Eric's Longbox Adventure at gmail.com with any questions as well as longboxadventure.tumblr.com has also the um ask box open for any listener response there um where can people find you and do you have anything you want to plug um i am gosh what am i i am at dalek chris on twitter uh i i never tweet but i follow a lot of people (laughs) and i have a youtube cat channel uh called um it's just dalek chris these days used to be dalek chris productions Um, which, if you really loved our episode on Doctor Who comics, you should follow, because the the YouTube channel's just Doctor Who stuff. Yeah, that's that's what I do. Um, Oh, I'm I'm also at Dalek Chris on Instagram, I think. Probably. I don't know my ats. This is an improvised outro. I'm Dalek Chris 9191 on Instagram. I guess Dalek Chris must have been taken when I did this would take that that's me that is you that is your brand specifically it's been me since i was like 12 yeah (laughs) besides this i co-host the podcast queering the guillotine with my partner trevor you can find it at the usual podcast places um it is just uh we talk manga movies video games lots of naruto lots of calling naruto a faggot because he is one if that sounds fun to you, listen. Um, I also have a gaming column called Let's Play a Love Game on haywiremag.com where I talk about dating sims. So if you think that sounds fun, you can find my writing there. And that's good on the plugs for today. Thank you all for listening. And go read Animorphs. Go read all of the Animorphs. Go buy them. 
uh, even directly from Scholastic so they get money and keep making them. And then go read some Wonder Woman. Bye. Bye. Oh, 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 oh.